Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, we're talking NBA playoffs plus a major shakeup in the Boston Celtics organization. Our guest has been following and covering the team for nearly four decades. That means he was back then with Larry Bird. Oh, wow. And he's standing by. But first, Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Monica is a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a three in transition and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. King is a former 3 and D Baylor baller whose idea of a good time is locking down the other team's best scorer. Monica, King, let's do this. Appreciate you, Darlene. Hey, welcome to Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. I'm King McClure. Monica has this week off, but we have a great co-host. Our producer, Bruce Bernstein, is in the building, filling in for the Queen as we talk NBA playoffs and a major change with the Celtics. We'll get to our special guest shortly, but Bruce, how are you feeling right now? Well, you know, I'm disappointed that uh, the Celtics couldn't get more than one game against Brooklyn, but big changes are afoot with the Celtics, and um, I'm hopeful about the future, but I'm a glasses-half-full kind of guy, King. But listen, we're going to talk a little bit of NBA, but there's a huge college story with the news that Coach K is retiring from Duke after next season. What are your thoughts on the end of Coach K, the Coach K era in Durham? Man, um, when I first read that, I really couldn't believe it just because it's Coach K. He's one of those people that you just will never think that his coaching career will end. I mean, he's coached so many great players. He's truly built a legacy at Duke. And to hear his quote-unquote legacy coming to an end is just, super surreal it just it just doesn't feel like it's it's, it's actually about to happen um, but that man is, is probably gonna go down as top three top five coaches of all time in any uh level nba college um what he did with the with the with the usa team um like to what he's done with duke the pros he's built the players that he's built that brotherhood he's a phenomenal he's a legend um so it'll be sad to see him go he would definitely be missed uh, but I think I think that time is now starting to pass. You know, you see with Roy Williams uh, coming to an end, you see with Coach K, I think that their, their time, they understood that it's now a new generation, a new era, and they must rebuild and restart. And um, I, I like uh, their, their hiring John Shire. I think he'll be the, the great person, keep it in the family. It'll be a great person to, to succeed. Coach K, I think he can do a great job, and he'll continue to keep that legacy where Coach K built. Uh, so shout out to Coach K, man. Uh, I wish I would have got to play against him. I did get recruited by Duke, but I didn't talk to him. I talked to Coach Cable, who's now at Pittsburgh. Uh, but shout out to Coach K, and you will be missed. 
Listen, we're going to be talking about my team, the Celtics, in a second. But before we do, i got to get your reaction. Luka Doncic puts the mm. Mavs on his back on Wednesday night, man. That was that might have been his best game, and he, that's saying something for Luka. Man, Luka Doncic is – man, he's uh, – you know, I think he's starting to solidify himself as a top three basketball player in today's, today's game. I mean, honestly – if you really want to make that argument, what he's doing right now is so impressive that I might make the argument that that I don't know who would be no LeBron is first, obviously, but I, I don't know who's second. I mean, I think Luca, you could put Luca, you could throw Luca's name in there. I mean, I feel like early in the year you couldn't throw his name in there. I think now you can throw his name in there just because of what he's doing. Look what he's doing. And it's not like he's doing it against any scrubs. He's doing it against Two of the premier talents in the NBA, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, don't mind they have Patrick Beverly and Rajon Rondo, who are supposed to be two great defenders. And you still up here averaging like over 30 in this series, almost a triple double. Come on now, man. At 21 years old, Bruce, this kid is special. He is a generational talent. And honestly, he might end up being, if they put more pieces around him, he might end up being the next, I want those out of the next LeBron. I mean, hey. Like that, that's type. Honestly, I might think that at 21, what he's doing, it might be more impressive than what LeBron was doing at 21. Um, so I don't know how his career is going to go. I just know the, the Mavericks, my, my team better put that money forward next year and get this man to return. Cause if they do not, I promise you, I'm going to have to go write a personal letter to Mark Cuban and tell him how he failed, but they better keep Luka Doncic. Hey, listen, we're going we're gonna to talk a, a, a little bit about, uh, about the Celtics in a moment. But uh, King, uh, he was, Luca was my preseason MVP pick. But, but I think he's probably even better in the postseason when it matters the most. <laughs> I, I kid is special, Bruce. He is special. And the thing about it is, he doesn't do anything exceptionally well. He's not super fast. He's not super athletic. He's not very quick. It's just his IQ as far as knowing where to get the ball, knowing what angle to take, being able to read your momentum while you're, you're guarding him. Like, it's just special. It's different. He'll be able to play till he's about 40, 42 um, and still be just as effective. So we're probably looking at one of the top 10 greatest players to ever play at the end of his career when it's all said and done. Cool. Ready to talk a little bit of Celtics? Let's do it. It is time to bring in our very special guest. Steve Bullpett began covering the Celtics for the Boston Herald back when Larry Bird was in his prime. He's been an observer of the organization for nearly four decades. And when it comes to institutional knowledge of the Celtics organization, few are in his league. Welcome, Steve. Uh, I'm not sure I can live up to that, but we'll give it a shot. <laughs> so, all right. When you heard the news about Danny Ainge retiring his team president and Brad Stevens moving up to the front office and ending his coaching tenure, what were your thoughts? Um, I guess more surprised about Brad moving up than Danny moving out. That was, um, you know, Brad to me is just, has been like a coach. I mean, that's, you look at him the way he, um, appreciates relationships um, with former players, um, going back to Butler, and it just you know some people are just have have coach within them, and I I really shouldn't have um, tried to buttonhole Brad that way I guess um, because you know it, 
he's clearly uh, more than um, than what he would appear to be. Just you can tell he's a thoughtful person is what I'm trying to say. So, um, you know, so, but that part did surprise me. Here's a guy that, you know, is still relatively young and uh, is young, excuse me, and um, didn't think that that was uh, something that he would leave behind. Not so much that he wouldn't be a, a good candidate for, uh, for moving up, but not that I just something I didn't think you would leave behind necessarily. Hmm. Stephen, you talked about him being so young, not just young, but he just, he's really a coach. I mean, that's, that's what he does. He has no type of experience in the front office. You think he's ready to make that jump? I don't know, to be honest, you know, um, he did leave a lot of this stuff, you know, to Danny. I mean, he, there, you know, the division of, of, uh, of duties, there are benefits on each side for, uh, and this is how I, Brad liked the fact of being an NBA. One of the reasons he liked being an NBA coach is that um, in the summer you had like off time. I mean, you had, you had time that he could go away. He went to the to the uh, the World Cup with his uh, with his family, uh, the the soccer World Cup women's thing in France. Um, they would take great trips and stuff and. He liked being able to get away from the game. And that during that time is when, you know, um, the Celtics, when Ainge is trying to create a roster. Uh, So um, Brad liked having that time free. Now he won't have that time free or not nearly as much. Uh, But on the other hand, he won't have to be traveling on a game schedule during the regular season. He'll still have to travel to scout and do all those things, but he will be at home significantly more than had he been a coach during the, you know, during the school months, as it were. So, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> there's trade-offs. I think there's parts of that that were allured to Brad, you know, uh, being able to be there for school events for his family and, and things like that. But yeah, it's, it was, kind of a bit of a shock at first, but you can start to see how things will will fit. Hmm. On the flip side, we have Brad moving up and Danny moving down. And a lot of times when when people quote unquote resign or step down, it's only because they knew that they were about to be fired. So in your, in your opinion, do you think that Danny was asked to resign or do you think he did this on his own initiative? Well, first of all, are you saying that I should resign from this show now? Or is that <laughs> um, before I get fired? Uh, <clears throat> no, Danny um, could do whatever he wanted with that organization. He, this was this was a Danny decision. The uh, Wick and Steve Wick Paliuka and Steve Wick Wick Grousebeck and Steve Paliuka. I didn't mean to create a, a marriage there. Um, they would, would not, it was, would not be something that they would do asking Danny to resign. Number one, I don't, I don't think they believe that, that uh, he should, or that uh, that was even a consideration. Um, you know, you can look at this year as disappointing, but there are uh, several reasons and, you know, roster is one of them, you know, around the edges of the roster, but I think there'd be more of a concern on Danny's part vis-a-vis ownership 
than ownership vis-a-vis -vis Danny. And I say that because, you know, this team wanted to really avoid the repeater tax. And I don't know if that played into Danny's decision, you know, because he was in, in certain ways um, a bit hamstrung by what he could do uh, because of the, the, the financial concerns on a team that, that makes a lot of money. So, um, yeah, I, you know, the Celtics weren't going to fire Danny Ainge. It was never going to happen, ever. Mm -hmm. So, Steve, some of the names that we're hearing about being, you know, the possible replacements for Brad Stevens are Clippers assistant Chauncey Phillips, mm -hmm. Sixers assistant Sam Cassell. Both of them have uh, Boston ties. Uh, Chauncey uh, first. He was drafted by the Celtics. He was traded during his rookie year in an awful yeah. move by former team president and coach uh, Rick Pitino. Uh, can you... Give us your thoughts on what you think Chauncey's prospects are uh, as a potential replacement for Brad. Yeah, I don't know which way, you know, the, when you say his prospects, I'm not sure what they're thinking is or, or which way that they're they're leaning. Uh, but I think Chauncey would be a ridiculously good candidate. Um, remember, he's a guy that, that uh, wasn't just the Celtics that got rid of him. Other teams moved on from him as well. Um, and, you know, um, yeah, I don't want to get into his career because the, the, the Chauncey I saw rookie year, I was saying, this kid's, this kid's a player. And I'm real, I was really surprised that they moved on from him. Um, but then again, I was surprised that other teams moved on from him as well. But he, as, a, as a person that I've gotten to know, not just the years with the Celtics, but over the ensuing years, I think this is a really bright guy. I think he's a really focused guy. Um, so I, I, I think he brings a lot of good qualities to a coaching position. Um, you know, uh, but I think they're going to look at a lot of different things and a name to keep an eye on that I think will at least get some consideration is Carol Lawson. Mm. Um, you know, she was with the Celtics for a bit and uh, really, really impressed uh, a lot of people, not just management people, not just others on the coaching staff, but impressed the players uh, with her knowledge and her way about imparting that knowledge. So, you know, um, I, I, I believe that, that, she, that her name will come up when they are discussing candidates whether they decide to go that way whether she'd be interested in you know you'd have to think she'd be interested in leaving duke but just after you know kind of starting out there that would be you know i think would be tough for her to to move on after one year on a job but uh I, it's something to think about i think i believe mm. i was on social media yesterday listening to the great kendrick perkins and you know he, he he's he he's out there so with some of his opinion <laughs> but my guy said that the name that he thinks should be the head coach of the celtics is sam cassell and he said no other name should be thought of what are your thoughts on sam cassell as far as maybe getting this job especially with him winning that championship in 2008 as a part of the celtics well i think if uh if sam gets that job uh really, I think his post-game press conference, any press conference involving Sam Cassell is going to be must-watch must television. 
So I think that the uh, the Celtics television partner uh, in this area uh, is probably you know starting a campaign for Sammy. Um, <laughs> but Sammy's nuts, and I love him. Um, and he's a, a huge, by the way, Patriots fan. Who, when they, when the, he was assistant for the Clippers at the time, and uh, when the when the Patriots played the Rams in the Super Bowl, Sammy was wearing his Patriots stuff around L.A. So he's um, he's a courageous man as well. Yeah. And another name I heard on social media, and this might be kind of crazy, but Jawan Howard. I mean, any thoughts on that? You know, um, I I think Jawan Howard would be fantastic. I just I'm, I'm a Jawan Howard person. Uh, just from you know talking to him over the years, um, the the stuff we've talked about over the years. Do you remember by the way? I don't mean to veer off, but you know what the hell? You're the guys inviting me on the show. This is your fault. Um, <laughs> Remember he he played a he had a cameo role in West Wing. You remember that at all? On I wasn't a uh, West Wing. I wasn't a watcher of that show, although I'm well, aware of it. There was a point where they were always having these pickup games, and the president Bartlett um, Martin Sheen was always losing those games. So he brought in a ringer uh, to play in the pickup game, and it was Juwan Howard. And the play, you know, they were saying, well, this guy, no. And Martin Sheen's like, no, he works for me now. And they, uh, they advertise, advertise and they, his character was a former college basketball player, but at Duke. Mm. And I remember talking to Jawan and saying, you know, <laughs> did, you, did you plead with the writers on this? To, you know, I mean, anything but Duke. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, if you find, if you, you know, you're on social media and you can search that scene out. I'm sure you can find it, you know, Jawan Howard on West Wing. And just, the, you know, the, I, it had to be a painful situation for him or bittersweet. You finally get a great TV shot like this and, and you have to say you're from Duke. Hmm. You know, Jawan, before he got the Michigan job, you know, had done some time as an assistant coach, I believe in Miami, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, I don't, did, I don't know if he had any other stops, but for sure. I mean, working in the Miami system is obviously good preparation. And another guy uh, that I'm just kind of pulling out of thin air, but I'm just feeling like, okay, if you want to think out of the box, Patrick Ewing ha has had some success at Georgetown. He certainly has Boston roots grew up there. He was an assistant for the Rockets, the magic, the Hornets, I think Celtics fans would totally embrace him as the head coach, even though he played for the hated Knicks for those years. Any thoughts on his viability, either as a candidate in Boston or in general to move up to the NBA? Um, I think he'd be a great candidate for the NBA. He wanted it for years and years. You know, I've, uh, damn, I've talked to Patrick a thousand times, you know, when he was doing his tour of assistantships um, about, uh, the opportunities or the chances to move up and why he hadn't and all those things. Um, but uh, I think it'd be great. I mean, he's a local guy, you know, um, you know, from Cambridge. Um, uh, he just, he's really, you know, um, and he, when he didn't choose Boston college, that was difficult for him at that time of his life. Uh, people on people down here were upset about it that he didn't stay. But um, 
since then, not only has, you know, you know, obviously you get over that pretty fast, but the city's really embraced him and he's embraced the area um, uh, to the point where I, I remember uh, when he when he came back um, years uh, or not that long afterwards with another team, I, I had talked to the Celtics and they, you know, I talked to them about giving him a piece of the parquet floor, which they did in a ceremony. And um, so, I mean, he, he really kind of cherishes that whole thing. Every, everybody has a piece of the parquet floor. I don't know if you can see that. It's actually signed by Danny Ainge. But anyway, uh, a follow-up on a follow-up on Ewing. Um, one of the issues I think with Boston in recent years is that they're very much the kind of a finesse team. Other than Tristan Thompson and Marcus Smart, there's nobody on that team that makes you feel them uh, in, in a physical way. And if a team takes on the character of its coach in many cases, I would think bringing in Patrick Ewing to coach Boston would automatically require them to play a little bit tougher. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I don't buy it. Um, I mean, you can have a coach that, that's advocating more for that, but you know, you, you had Marcus Smart on this team and I think players are more likely to take on the character of their, of their team leaders um, you know, you, you can't uh, yell at guys for, you know, for 82 games and think it's going to have an effect. Um, Greg Popovich notwithstanding. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think this team, I, I don't get it. I mean, to think that Brad wasn't telling them to get into their, you know, to get into the ball handler defensively, um, he, was, he was pleading for that. I mean, you have this team messed up in a lot of ways. And defensively, you can say this year was screwy because, you know, defense is a scheme. It's how you rotate and all these things. And that has to be drilled. And this team did not have much uh, preseason time, uh, did not have practice time during the season. So I can see how that would screw up uh, during the year. You know, get into scrambles when you shouldn't, you know, doubling when you shouldn't, doubling too soon. But having said that, you know, giving, having given them that excuse, I would say that you, there was no excuse for not being more aggressive with the ball handler, for not forcing a team to get into its offense later, for not forcing, uh, you know, everyone when a play is called out, the other team knows it. Uh, so the Celtics knew it, not forcing the, the ball handler away from the way he wants to go. Uh, they were just not as physically tough at the point of attack as they should have been. Um, you know, you, you need to fight a team on the perimeter to prevent them, prevent those guys from, from getting into the lane on you. And the Celtics didn't do enough of that. They were not as, you know, hey, look, you fight the guy out there. If you get beat, you get beat. But if you back off, then you're sitting ducks. And other teams, you know, move the ball better than the Celtics did. Uh, so they were going to get wide open looks, which is what happened far too often. And you saw, you know, uh, guys in this last series against uh, the Nets <clears throat> driving down Broadway for open layups and dunks. Not good because, they, you know, you can say that a block shot or a dunk is demoralizing to the opponent. Now, what's demoralizing to the opponent is getting an easy basket on them when they know when they get the ball back and have to go to the other end, how hard they have to work to score. 
easy baskets are the most demoralizing thing in basketball. So Steve, here's my two-part question, because based on what you described a little bit and based on what Bruce described a little bit, it sounded like the Celtics are just too soft. Okay. So, so my first, first part of this question is how much of the quote unquote softness is on the coach as opposed to the players and like the actual people who are on the court? Like, where does that stem from? Does that stem from Brad? Is that just stem because you know, Jason Tatum is just not that gritty type of player? Like, like what, what, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think if you have a coach that's putting you in the right positions, uh, positions that your situations that you know work, if he's giving you a strategy that you know works, uh, not only for the team, but for yourself individually. And what I mean by that is, you know, ball movement, passing, cutting, cutting, not just to get the ball, but cutting because it, it forces a defense to move and gets them in scramble. If you've got a coach that's telling your guys that what's best for them and what's best for the team, and they know it works and they still don't do it consistently, then should you be looking at the coach or should you be looking at the players? Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, and, and it's, and the lack of ball movement thing at times, the ISO ball, the my turn basketball, I'm not saying that these guys are jerks. What it was mostly to me anyway, was, Hey, we've, we're, we've, uh, the other, the opponents on a six Oh run, we need to make something happen. I'll take responsibility. Give me the ball. I'll go make a play very gallant of you, but you've taken the team out of its offense. You know what I mean? So it's like, you see, you're not being a, a jerk about it uh, saying, I, I want my stats, but you think I'll, I'll fix this problem for it. I'll be, the, I'll lead, I'll step up and do this for us. And it's like, no, if you just stick to what you're doing, I mean, Jason Tatum is a fantastic score. No question about it. Um, but wouldn't life for him be easier if instead of having to drive and beat a, a guy uh, and what, uh, what is a one-on-one -on -one play that turns into a, a one-on-two and more, wouldn't it be easier to be moving the ball and cutting and all of a sudden just catching and finishing? You know, uh, the guy that's trailing him is a, is a half step slow. He catches and finishes. You know, life would be easier for Jason Tatum. I think his numbers would still be there. Um, and that's not, I don't mean to put this on him. I just, he's a guy that's easy to focus on because he's so much a part of things, but for everybody, you know, um, Marcus Smart has had some, you know, had some great drives he saw in the, you know, where he, he uh, scores through contact, but, you know, again, wouldn't life be easier if you're, if you're a finisher more than a create, more than just a, more than a creator and finisher. Mm. So Steve, my second part to that question is, what is it going to take? What type of roster updates or upgrades will the Celtics need to make in order to get to that level where they can win championships and compete at the highest? Well, <clears throat> I, you know, I, I remember talking about this with Bruce before, but I came into this past season with two questions about the Celtics. Number one, could they get away from the hero ball? Could they just buy into that kind of thing? Number two, tell me how good Robert Williams is going to be. Mm. So I thought he was like a, a real critical factor for this team. And so if you look at, at, look, more upgrades need to be made, but some of the biggest upgrades 
that this team needs to make is getting its players on the floor together. Okay, they they never once had their 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 top seven on the floor uh, available this season. Now, part of that was because you know the, the trade for Fournier was late, and there's a question about whether he'll be staying here because he's a free agent. But you know, I think you know this team would not have finished in a, as a seventh seed. Um, you'd be looking at four or five at worst um, if had it been healthy all year. And part of that health is the Kemba Walker thing where they had to bring him along. And at the end, he goes down on a bruise, not the knee issue that, that uh, had caused the offseason surgery and things. But, um, you know, so that's right there. You know, can you get that together? You need better depth. You know, um, you need to have, I mean, look, Evan Fournier coming off your bench as a scorer, that's a great situation. Evan Fournier as a starter, not as good. And I like Evan Fournier as a player a lot. Uh, but, you know, like what chair you're sitting in, you know, you can be, a you know, a guy who's sixth man of the year, you know, uh, is not a starter. So, you know, it's there's a reason why he's not a – that person's not a starter. Jordan Clarkson, you know, came off the bench for Utah um, for a reason. So, you know – uh, what seat guys are sitting in where they are on the food chain means a lot. Uh, yeah. I, I think they need to, to um, improve their, their depth inside the depth on the wing. And just again, like you're talking about depth of toughness, physicality. There's a, there's a couple of young guys on the team that got a chance to play due to the injuries, guys like Romeo Langford and uh, Aaron Neesmith. And so you look at what does Boston have in the way of, you know, guys who might be having some trade value and, you know, Marcus Smart might be the guy, I mean, but he's the emotional engine on the team and he's probably more valuable to the Celtics and he might be with another team as far as whether he might be put out in the trade market. I mean, can you characterize his relationship with, with Brad? I mean, is Brad a, a Marcus guy or is Brad a guy that would say, you know what, Neesmith and Lankford both could possibly play that position step up their own rookie deals Marcus is going to be in the last year and he's going to need to get paid after next season so do you see him as somebody who might be out there in the trade market to to help them increase some of the depth that you say they need I, I can tell you from um, talking to teams around the league for years and even this past year before the trade deadline excuse me um Marcus Smart is a coveted commodity around the league uh, for his tangibles, for his intangibles. Um, trying to think of a way to say this. Um, remember the, the Sam Cassell thing, you know, with the, that he's not allowed to do it, what he, uh, the, the league fined him for doing or said he can't do anymore. Marcus Smart's got big spaldings. Um, and I think that's a... Uh, you know, I can't, you know, um, the Sam dance. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and that's an important thing, but, you know, but Marcus will step up and take big shots, but Marcus is going to also throw up some shots that you have to live with. You have to be willing to live with. Um, when Marcus is a point guard, is a distributor, he's really good at that. Um, so, you know, if they could get to the situation where Marcus was, focused on that and uh, assuming Kemba Walker's back and healthy 
and you had Kemba playing off the ball more, you know, as a, as a catch and shoot, as a catch and beat a closeout drive kind of guy. I think that works really well, but yeah, Marcus could be a guy that you, that you, that winds up getting moved. Um, I think a lot of people are up, are out for that, depending on obviously what you get, but your point about Aaron Neesmith and uh, Romeo Langford, Aaron Neesmith showed some, you know, he came in as a guy with a stroke and, you know, not seeing the floor, uh, not being able to build that confidence on the NBA level. He struggled for a bit. And then when he finally got minutes by hustling, uh, then um, you saw what he could do. His, his shot all of a sudden arrived. So, you know, that, and the question with Langford is just, the dude's been hurt like all the time since, you know, and then, you know, he's ready to come back finally from the off season wrist thing. And then he gets COVID and it's like, you know, find the ladder he walked under and, you know, break that thing into a thousand pieces. It, it's just, you know, what, what next locusts, um, you know, uh, so it's just, he's just had a run of bad luck, but you saw uh, the series against uh, the Nets that um, he played some pretty good defense, even on a guy like James Harden. Mm. He's long and, and uh, you know, a long and willing defender goes a long way. So you talk a little bit about the Nets. They got a player named Kyrie Irving that you're very familiar with. And Kyrie Irving's made a lot of comments about the, the Celtics fans and just how, how bad and disrespectful they are. Do you think that that kind of deters free agents this year from wanting to come to Boston? I think in this case, there's a, a, a perception out there that's become kind of cliche. Mm. Um, look, let me state up front that uh, this is an important thing, personally as well. When the whole idea, the whole idea of racism, or in, in particular, I, I go back and forth between whether it's more angering or just, just you know, crushing, just saddening. Well, you know, I I don't get it. I'm, I you know I see where it's come from institutionally, but it's just it 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 pisses me off, and it just crushing when you see the how people are dehumanizing mm. um and you know certainly there are issues in in boston there are issues there's issues in every city you know um and i've seen it uh in every city and frankly i've seen it a lot more in in other places that are allegedly more enlightened than Boston in terms of that issue. Um, but if I get into talking about that, it sounds like I'm making an excuse for Boston or I'm trying to, you don't get to decide uh, or, or win a, 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 get a star on your forehead because you're less racist as a community than somebody else. No, this, this is not a, a, a competition where, where degrees enter into this. But like I said, and, and players around the league know uh, about other places, and I, again, I won't name them. Where you hear 
things. You hear certain words during games that I've not heard uh, anyway, uh, other places. Um, but I think that the best thing the Celtics have to, on that issue is, you know, having players listen to uh, a Kevin Garnett, even a Kendrick Perkins, you know, about their experiences. Uh, but, you know, look, you're a person of color. Tell me about all the places you've been and played and what that atmosphere has been like, you know? Um, it's not a, it's not a, an issue that's, it's uh, put in one place. And, you know, I think Kyrie's thing, I, to get into Kyrie is specifically, he's, his actions is what he says can be kind of like, you know, it, I know it's gotten teammates and, and people around him to kind of like, okay, you know, but um, I kind of, I'm wary with Kyrie for the sense that I, I think there's deeper things going on there, to be honest, you know, um, and I, you know, would hesitate to, to, you know, his experiences or his thoughts are his and they're to be respected. Um, but, uh, you know, he also is a guy that, that talked about, you know, uh, how things were for him in Boston a couple of years ago and how much he liked it. Um, Boston fans will say this about it first, I, and I don't mean to go on and on here, but okay. the initial issue is very important. Personally, All right. Otherwise. <laughs> but um, Boston fans are not, uh, they're mad at Kyrie Irving not because of the color of his skin, because he uh, said he was gonna stay, uh, came out and made a big thing of it before his last season. And then uh, it showed up during the year at All-Star that he was he perhaps, you know, conspiring to get away. And then uh, in the playoffs, um, the last few games against uh, against the Bucks that year, how uh, things you know certainly looked as if he uh, was not at his max or putting his max on the floor. Those are the things that upset Celtics fans. If you're part of their team and you you know say you're going to, if he just going to start saying, "Hey, look, I'm going to be a free agent after the year. I don't know what's going to happen," that's one thing. But then when you say, you know, I'll, I'll I plan on being back if you'll have me and gets a standing ovation from that season ticket holder thing at the garden that night. Um, and then you, you know, yeah, I think that's why people are upset. And I don't think it has anything to do with, uh, you know, with his uh, skin tone. Steve, I have to agree with you a hundred percent on that. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's no secret. I'm a Celtics fan and I really wanted Kyrie to stay. I was hoping he would, he's an incredible talent. And, uh, but look, it, it's his decision. He, he was, you know, that's what being a free agent's all about. I think I agree with you hundred percent. The fact that he kind of came out and said this, and then he did that is, uh, is the reason for the animosity. And anyway, it was, it was a strange, that was a strange year. Um, I'll tell you one quick story. Uh, Again, so that started, he had the start of that year where he says he's going to stay. And then uh, he does that Nike commercial 
where the, the line about the number 11 in the rafters, and he wants to be the reason why no one else ever wears it. That was something that he added to that commercial. That was not written that way. He put the night, you know, um, yeah. Uh, and, and the thing with his dad, I mean, I, his dad's a great guy. I used to play ball with his dad. And, um, you know, so, so that whole commercial and the, that line being added that way. Uh, but then you fast forward, I think it was the early February before All-Star. And something had, someone had written something saying that, you know, that Kyrie might be thinking about this or that. And there was a Celtics had a game in Madison Square Garden. And that morning at shoot around at MSG, um, that had come out there. And so uh, I know it was a network game as well, because I remember there were, there were um, I think Bonnie, uh, I think, uh, um, God, I'm messing on her name now. She, uh, Rachel Nichols was there. Um, and, but anyway, um, so everyone crowds around Kyrie before shoot around. That's when the media availability is. And, uh, you know, say, hey, is this a thing? Is this a thing? And, you know, he said, and his response was, you know, ask me July 1st. You know, so this guy that had been, you know, I'm with this thing, I'm 100% in, I'm in. Um, all of a sudden, it was like, whoa, so we didn't, I didn't expect that. And as I'm walking away from that, from that group, um, a Celtic player, a uh, prominent Celtic player says, um, uh, did you get asked the question? I said, yeah. And he goes, uh, what did he say? And I looked at the player and he said, and I said, uh, he said, my life is going to be, is going to be a hell <laughs> until July, uh, through July 1st. And he just kind of, the player just kind of rolled his eyes. Cause he like, he knew that, that Kyrie didn't close the door on the question. Um, so, you know, there were, there are guys in that team that, that like Kyrie as a guy, but there were a lot of guys that that was a really uncomfortable room that year and a lot for a lot of people. Steve Bullpet, we really appreciate all of your insight about the Celtics. Your stories are the best. You're the best. We appreciate having you on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, and uh, hopefully we can uh, have you join us again soon. Thank you so much. Well, good to speak with you guys. That was dope. <laughs> Thank you to this week's guest, Steve Bullpet, who knows the Celtics better than they know themselves. Thanks also to our editor, Kristen Woolley, who makes us all sound good. Please check out all of our other Pure Hoops media shows. This week, the Mike Wise Show features Mike and myself breaking down playoff action and asking some tough questions about unruly fans and what should be done about them. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin has national NBA writer TJ Messias talking Dallas Mavs, and she is full of opinions. What's happening with Luca and his team? BJ Armstrong is back with Eric Newman on the Pure Hoops podcast, which drops every Friday. And Monica McNutt rejoins King McClure next Thursday with a brand new edition of Bucket Sports and Blocks from Pure Hoops Media. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Please keep your guard up and get that vaccination. They say that vaccinated people don't need masks anymore, so go get the shot and you can lose the mask. But if you're one of those fools that doesn't want to get the vaccine... Keep wearing that mask so you don't get anyone else sick. Be smart, protect yourself and others when you're out in public. We're close to putting this COVID behind us, so don't let up. If you like Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, please subscribe, rate us, review us, and leave a five-star rating. It would mean a lot. Until we meet again next week, in honor of Monica McNutt and King McClure, I'm Bruce Bernstein, and I'm going to use Monica's line. 
enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.